Hello, everybody. Welcome again to Lost Floors Church and our weekend services. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here. I want to today look at Micah chapter 6. If you want to turn to Micah chapter 6, we're looking at verses 6 through 8. But I'd like to begin with just a story about my grandfather. I never met my grandfather. He died when, when my father was young. He died in his early 40s of cancer. But my grandfather was this great big guy that actually played professional football for the Washington Redskins and was in the 1933 Rose Bowl, which is, which is kind of a cool thing. But uh, anyway, he was not only a big guy, but he was also kind of a mean guy. That's how my dad remembers, and especially my uncle, who's a little bit older. He was 18 when my grandfather died. He remembers that he wasn't always the nicest guy. And my dad tells me a story. One time they're sitting around the table, actually not long before uh, my my uh, grandfather would have died, but they're sitting around the table and they're eating, and, and my dad and my uncle, both of them hated peas. And so my uncle, who's 18 years old, um, is not eating his peas. And my grandfather tells his 18-year-old son, who's getting ready to go to the University of Pittsburgh on a, on a football scholarship and eventually play in the NFL. So he's not a little guy. He's a big, strong, athletic guy. And he tells his 18-year-old son, eat your peas. And my Uncle Joe, I guess, responds in a smart aleck way and begins to tell him how he's not going to eat his peas. And before he could get that out of his mouth... My grandfather backhands my Uncle Joe across the face, spend, sends him sprawling out of his chair onto the floor. And my dad said he responded by eating his peas as fast as he could, so the same thing didn't happen. But my uncle got up, sat down, and ate his peas very quickly after that. And you know, I, I tell you that story, it's, it's kind of a funny story, but, but also I think sometimes we see God in, in that way. That we see God as as this kind of an angry, um, mean man, and uh, kind of looking down on us, just looking for us to do something wrong. And I don't know how you view God or how you've viewed God in the past, but sometimes I think that's how we do it. I, I've heard a story uh, from someone in the church that talked about when she was young, her mom would tell her that every time she did something wrong, that God would would put a big black mark on her soul. Wow, what what a horrible view of a loving God. Because the God that, that I read about in the Bible, yeah, he does get angry. and Yeah, he does punish at times. But he's this God that wants a relationship with us, that, that loves us desperately, that, that shows us mercy. And, and so when we think about what does God expect from us? What does? What are these rules? What, what's this list that we should be doing so God doesn't come down on us with that backhand like my grandfather? And Micah's like asking that question. What does God expect from us? What do we need to give God in order for him to view us in a, a positive way, in order for us to, to get through the pearly gates? And, and so Micah chapter 6, 6 through 7 says this. What can we bring to the Lord? Uh, should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? In, in other words, what Micah is saying is that we can't actually give all this to God. I mean, 
Does he expect millions of dollars? Does he expect all these things that we can't even provide? Now, I believe that all of us in the back of our minds kind of have an idea of what we think God expects from us. As a kid growing up in church, I had lots of ideas of what God expected from us, but they were much more what my parents told me, like, you need to wear your Sunday best. Even though I would never wear that any place else in the world, I had to put on that those nice clothes on Sunday because somehow God expected that from me. Or you need to sit very quietly and be respectful during church, although I did get one bathroom break um, per one-hour service. At least that was in my mind what I got, and I extended that while I was in there. I tried to stay in the bathroom as long as I could. But God expected that of me. And you can't just move your lips. You have to sing out loud. God also expects that of you. Now, those aren't anywhere in the Bible. And obviously, as parents, we've all used those tactics to get our kids to sit still, to listen, to pay attention. It's what God expects, right? There's lots of rules and things that we've come up with over the years in the church that God expects from us that aren't really in the Bible. Chapter 6, verse 8, it gives us this clear, precise description of what God expects from us. I want to read that to you. And so in in verse 8, he begins by answering the questions from before. Should we bring all these rivers of oil? Should we bring all this stuff to God? Is that what he expects? And he says, no, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Wow, Uh, that's much different than all these rules that we've laid out over the years. It, It seems so simple. Just do what is right, love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Well, What do those things mean? How how do we break those things down? Well, right off the bat, to do what is right. Last week, we talked about trust in the Lord and do good. Basically, do what's right and trust God with everything else. But what is right? And so what does it mean to do what is right? That's kind of a big question all in itself. When my kids were little, I used that line in them all the time. I used to say, you do what is right and good things will happen. You want good things to happen, do what is right. And my daughter, Gracie, still repeats that line to me. Even she claims I put my finger up like this. I, I don't know if that's true. My my memory's slipping sometimes. But but I use that line. And, and honestly, it makes sense in our world. I, what I used with my kids is if you want to get A's in school, if you want to get good grades, then do your homework. Study for your test. Do what you know is right. And guess what? You're going to get good grades. It's a pretty simple process. We can put the same thing into our workplace. We know typically what we have to do. We have to work hard. We want to be the best employee, and so we do those things, and and good things happen. As as homeowners or or living out in our neighborhood, to to be a great neighbor, we take care of our yard, we take care of our house, and people look at us favorably. You know, honestly, we all want to be raging successes in this world, and and all those things I'm talking about, they're, they're all things that are looked at in a very good way in this world. But here's the thing. When we think about what is God wanting from us? What's this thing of just do what is right? What What is that end goal 
what is God requiring from us? And here's the thing, when we're standing at the pearly gates and, and St. Peter's there with this checklist and saying, did, did you get straight A's? Check. Did you, did you work lots of hours at work? Did, did you become the best salesperson at work or the best employee? Did, how many times did you get employee of the month? I, I'm just going to say those things aren't going to be on there. Did you keep your house up to date? Did, did you keep your lawn nice and neat so your neighbors were pleased with you? Those things, I'm just telling you, are not going to be on that checklist. And it sounds funny when we say those things, but really what... What is it? At the end of time, what, what, what is going to be the deciding factor of what we did that was right and what we did that was wrong? And so in Matthew chapter 25, we have this picture of Jesus who's separating out the sheep and the goats, basically the righteous from the unrighteous. And, and after he separates them out, he tells them what they did. And this is what he says. Matthew 25, 34 through 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Now, it's interesting because these people that are here, these righteous people that did what was right, the first thing they do is go, whoa, when did we do that? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you? When did we ever see you thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothes? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are doing it for me. So the answer is laid out here for us to do what is right, to, to be considered righteous, <laughs> to do what is right to your hungry neighbor, to, to be kind to a stranger who is maybe down and out, care for the sick or the lonely or the least of these. Sometimes that sounds so simple and yet sometimes I realize that's some of the most difficult things for me. Because it's, it's not just, oh God, I love you with all my heart. It's show me how you love me by loving those that I've created, by loving those that I have put you on earth with. And I don't know why, but sometimes that's more difficult, isn't it? But the truth is, if we want to do what is right, how we treat people matters. How we treat people is how we treat the one who created them. That's how we treat God himself. The second thing that is laid out, what God expects from us, is to love mercy. Let's define mercy. It's when someone does not receive the punishment they deserve. <laughs> it's funny because when you read that out loud, that mercy is when someone does not receive the punishment they deserve. There are times that we are so happy when someone doesn't get the punishment they deserve. And there's other times we are angry. What? 
They deserve that. They deserve that punishment. Yet God is telling us to love mercy. And I believe when he's telling us to love mercy, he's not just saying, hey, love mercy when it's done to you. He's saying, love mercy when it's done to you and also love giving mercy or showing mercy. Uh, that's interesting. When you look at Matthew chapter 18, uh, there's this story of a king. And this king one day is adding up all his debt and the people that, that owe him money. And he realizes he sees this guy on the list that just owes millions of dollars. And he, he has his, his uh, guards bring this guy in. And he says, hey, you know, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to pay this back. I, I can't believe how much you owe me. And so you're going to have to pay me. And the guy goes, I have no hope of paying that off. I, I don't have any money. And, and the guy goes, well, then you're going to get sold into slavery. Your, your wife and your whole family is going to get sold into slavery. That's the only way to pay this debt. We're going to have to sell everything you have. And it still won't pay for this. And the guy falls on his knees and starts begging the king, please have mercy on me. Please, please give me a little more time. And the king sees this and he has pity on the man. And he says, you know what? You'll never be able to pay this back. But I am going to forgive this debt. I'm going to let you go free. Today is your lucky day. Can you imagine the rejoicing? This guy's probably been, been living with this burden for years. I mean, how that would be weighing down on him. And all of a sudden, it's gone. It's wiped out. And he walks out of the king's throne room going, yes, I, I don't owe anyone anything i am free it's like a it's like a start over and he's walking home he's so excited to tell his wife and and he's just this relief is huge and he sees this guy that that actually owes him some money and he goes up to the guy and he goes hey you owe me some money you owe me about a thousand bucks um I, I need that and the guy goes i i can't pay it right now if you could just give me a little bit more time and this guy that's just been forgiven a million dollars goes, no, you don't have any time. I, I'm going to throw you in jail unless you pay me now. And the guy goes, I can't do it. He literally has this man thrown in jail because he won't pay him this thousand dollars. And he goes on with his day. Now we look at that and we're like, well, that's insane. Who, who would do that? This is a story about you and I. We serve a God that forgives us for a truckload of sins that we could never pay back. He's, he's forgiven us that. All we have to do is accept the fact that he's forgiven us these, these sins. And, and, and then we go about our day. And if someone does something wrong to us, oh, do we hold it over them? We hold grudges. We do not let go easy, do we? We hang on to these things. And, it, and you read this story in Matthew chapter 18. The king has a very ugly response when he finds out about this man he's forgiven and his response to not having mercy on someone else. You see, if you love mercy, you love the mercy that God's given you. You love the mercy that people show you, but you love showing mercy. You love forgiving people. It, there's two sides to mercy, and that's why we're supposed to love mercy. We love grace. God is calling us to love mercy and to offer the same mercy, the same love, the same forgiveness that he offers us. 
The third thing that Micah says is that we are to walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with your God. First of all, I love the fact that it's your God, which indicates it's this relationship, this personal relationship with the God that created you. And to walk humbly with him. I, I truly believe that a lot of times our relationship with our dad kind of give us this, this picture of, of God. It's just kind of human nature. And I was so fortunate because I had an amazing relationship with my dad. Some of my greatest memories growing up are playing golf with my dad. It, he was a teacher and during the summer he had, he had some time off. And, and I remember in summer evenings, he would take us golfing. And it would just be me, him, and a couple of his friends. And we would walk nine holes at this golf course. And I remember those times. Some of the best memories are walking as the sun was setting on the golf course with my dad. Just loving that. I, I still love playing golf with my dad. I, I remember we'd go water skiing during the summer at the lake. And I remember him pulling me in that boat trying to teach me how to water ski. Especially on the, on the one ski, which is a little bit more difficult. And he would just circle after circle. I'd fall, he'd pick me up, I'd fall, he'd pick me up until I got it. And he wasn't always patient, <laughs> but I knew that my dad loved me. And, and my dad was someone that I wanted to be with. He, my dad was even my coach. One of my favorite pictures is, is me in my football uniform and my dad standing next to me with his arm around me, giving me the play. And, and to me, that, that's like this, that's who my dad was. He, he was this guy that, that was coaching me, that was loving me. And, and man, I, I wanted to be like my dad. I, I, I wanted to, to have that relationship with him. And, and honestly, I, I look at that and I think, man, that shaped my belief in God. That shaped my relationship with God because the way I saw God was as this loving father that wanted the best for me and wanted to walk with me through life. I, I find it interesting when Jesus was questioned about the most important commandment. His response was immediately, says Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And you have to understand, Jesus is talking about his father. Now, whether you had a perfect father, whether you had a dad that wasn't around a lot, or maybe you just didn't have a dad. I, I don't know what your situation is. But our Heavenly Father loves you. And He wants to walk with you through life. He wants to watch you do well in life. I just want to answer the question, how do we walk humbly with our God? Well, very simply, we believe in Him. We trust him. We talked about that last week, trusting him with the things we can't control. Talk with him. Pray. <laughs> Learn about him. Or read the Bible. And, and the last thing is, we've already talked about, but love people. The, the second part of Jesus' reply is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Oh, and the second one is, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, I, I created them too. I want you to love people the way you love me. I want you to love me the way you love other people. Loving people is a way that we can walk humbly with our God. And I think this is so simple. 
It's so profound. And I want to close today just by reading it to you again. The Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. To do what is right. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God.